Welcome back, everyone, to Point of Sale, the retail supply chain show where we break down, of course, our greatest retailers, and in this case, some of our not-so-great ones, and, of course, the data and technology that move their supply chains. Now, today, uh, we have a a sad, sad story. Uh, One of, I think, probably one of the largest, if not one of our favorites, party stores, is filed for bankruptcy. Now we're seeing this among different types of retailers in this space, a lot looking to restructure their debt or looking to, of course, uh, restructure themselves in order to get through some of these more trying uh, economic times. Uh, But one in particular is the wonderful, beautiful Party City. So we're gonna start off today talking about the Party City bankruptcy, but most important, the exact Uh, issues that they're having with their supply chains. Uh, The thing that really frustrates me, a lot of these earnings calls that we're starting to see is uh, the fingers continuing to point at the supply chain, but none of these leaders really want to truly dive into what that means for their shareholders. So uh, even though Party City, unfortunately, has now been delisted off of that platform under Party City Hold Co., uh, we're going to dive into the problems they're seeing in their supply chain, and more importantly, how those problems could actually be harmful towards even maybe your health in the long run. But we also are going to dive into a recent event, the National Retail Federation's big retail show that the wonderful Jack Dalio got to visit. So we're going to have him on later in the show to talk about his time at that event, what he's learned and what we should expect to see from our retailers, not just in their products, but uh, what they think their pain points will be throughout 2023 as well. Uh, It's so cool to say 2023. It's been uh, not even a full month, and uh, I'm getting the date right, that's for sure. Now, uh, to dive into the Party City drama. So a uh, couple weeks ago, last week actually, Party City Hold Co. Incorporated filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. They're looking to restructure their debt. As of September, they had $1.67 billion in debt with only $122 million in liquidity. So uh, big issue there. Again, we're delisted off of the uh, stock exchange and they have over 800 companies that they're currently owed money to. Now they did receive a bankruptcy loan of up to $150 million. And this week, a big part of that was the judge approving the ability for them to use $75 million of that to start paying employees and more importantly, their suppliers. Now, this is where today's story gets interesting. Uh, yeah, well, Party City, uh, well, well, we might figure out our balloon situation moving forward with others, but will we? Because guess what? There's a helium shortage. Now, uh, part of the reason that this uh, loan was approved, at least the $75 million for now, is because a number of Party City suppliers, uh, our orders are put in well ahead of time, if not a year ahead of time, if sometimes up to two years uh, in order to make sure that all supplies are available. Uh, Someone like Party City, right? You got to have Halloween stuff in on time, Christmas stuff in on time, July 4th decorations, all that jazz. Uh, So they they likely are able to put in those uh, orders into suppliers well into a year in advance. Now, the big problem, and this isn't why bankruptcy truly happened with Party City. There's multiple layers of it. But an issue that they ran into, and an issue among a number of industries we'll dive into in a second here, is the overall world helium shortage. Now, the thing about helium is it is a uh, a, a source that can be uh, continued, to, uh, that is renewed by the earth. So there's no a set amount of it that's 
uh, available for a period of time. It, we can continue to uh, supply ourselves until we decide that uh, balloons don't need them and we don't want it, our squeaky voices from helium as well. But uh, the problem is, is the suppliers and the producers of helium, there's been a snafu, I think is the best way to explain it. And we'll dive into it a little bit. So right now we're in what the helium industry is calling he- the helium shortage 4.0. Uh, it's gone from this past year to 3.0 to 4.0 because it's getting more and more serious as time goes by. Now, a big peak of this shortage was from January to July of 2022. Now, real quick, I want to showcase to all of you the main contributors and suppliers by country that actually source our healing. And if we can bring that up really quickly, as of two years ago, these were our biggest resources. So we have the United States being a big contributor to that. Uh, Russia at a small 1%. We'll get to Russia here in a second. Qatar uh, is another huge contributor to the helium space. Now, the problem is is that the United States factory uh, in particular went offline for a four-month maintenance outage on July 1st of 2021. It's part of the U.S. Bureau of Land Management's Crude Enrichment Unit. And uh, that alone removed 10% of the worldwide helium capacity. Another part of this is we're trying actually as the United States to kind of get out of the helium game. The biggest reservoir of helium in the United States is in Amarillo, Texas. And they've actually been recently selling off parts of that reserve to private owners. They want to exit, which would actually be good for the local economy. Uh, Private industry could actually do more than what they're doing for Texas at this point in time. So it's just a process that they're looking uh, towards doing. Now, uh, for the overall world production, that, that wasn't going to be a huge problem, right? Now, we do 55%. We're eliminating 10% out of that. And as Amarillo is selling off parts, we're eliminating even more of that 55%. But the helium industry was fine with that because in Russia, uh, a company or a, more of a processing facility called Gazprom Amor was looking to actually come online. And they were going to go as Russia from making 1% of helium to over 30% of the world's helium, making up for that difference that the United States is selling off. Well, as timing has it, uh, things didn't work out the way it was supposed to. Now, uh, with that 10% down and with parts of that going off, the same in Texas being sold off to private owners, the same exact time that Gazprom Amor was supposed to come online, They stopped for a tad because they had to do a little bit more construction. Once back online, they experienced in a very short amount of time in uh, 2021 fires, which led to a minor explosion. And then as we all know, in 2022, now economic sanctions. So even though uh, we're looking at more to, of course, provide over 30% of the world's helium, Many countries can't trade with them right now because of it, including ourselves. And because of it, well, we're looking to see that there's going to be a shortage in helium from 2023 to probably likely the beginning of 2024. Hopefully, that's if Gazprom and Mark can come back online and start to contribute that 30% and also not be under sanction as well. Now, Qatar is pretty large, right? The supply that, that big amount, about 35% globally. Now, after this, they'll actually end up being behind Amur a little bit. 
But they also went offline in the spring of 2022 for maintenance as well, which is like kind of interesting if you think about it, because we have all these technologies that want to help with maintenance, right? They want to help predict maintenance. They want to help uh, provide more resilient supply chains that way. Well, if we had that predictable maintenance software in an industry like helium we're seeing today, we might not be in this situation now. So there are weird things that technology can still help out with. Now, here's the biggest problem that comes with this too. If we can quickly bring up uh, for the audience the uh, use cases, MRI scanners are actually one of the largest use cases of helium today. So there's many hospitals that are starting to panic because uh, helium is, I'm not a scientist, but I'm going to do my best to explain this for you. Helium helps keep the MRI machines cold so that they continue working at the speed that they're working. We also have a number of labs. Yes, balloons. We'll live without balloons. Breathing uh, um, uh, machinery. Uh, big one is semiconductors need helium to, of course, uh, be created. Airbag production. Rocket fuel tank maintenance. Uh, cooling equipment. Uh, the tech sector is panicking because, again, helium is used for cooling uh, equipment like MRI machines, but also all of those uh, servers from Google, Netflix, uh, and, and Apple that help keep our phones running, our search engines running, and, of course, the ability for us to watch any movie and show we want to at any moment in time. So, it's something that we definitely need to keep our eye on. It's interesting to see, unfortunately, that Party City was a hit in this uh, scenario. But it showcases to you that when we talk about, especially technology in the retail space and all the way down to its suppliers, if we're able to get more real-time visibility data, be able to forecast when, for instance, Qatar was going offline or for the U.S. to hopefully uh, uh, move its uh, strategy a little bit as well, uh, the helium industry wouldn't be seeing the shortage it is currently seeing today. And it also showcases how interesting globalization can be and how something as simple as helium can uh, be totally thrown off guard. So for all those out there, if you have MRI uh, appointments that are being rescheduled, uh, you can point to probably helium uh, for being that reason why. And uh, that's our fun story of today. But of course, like I said, we also have a guest with us. Uh, Jack Dalio is going to join us. Uh, of course, he spent some fun time at the Retail Federation's uh, event recently. So, Jack, thank you for joining us here on the show. Thank you for having me, Grace, as always. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you love helium, Jack? And are you upset that we're not going to have as much helium this year as we, if we, as we have in the past? <laughs> uh, I used to inhale a lot of it as a kid, but... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, these days, I'm, I'm exactly. pretty <laughs> Yeah. So if anything, uh, recycle your helium. Don't waste it on the kids at the party. That's that's the moral of the story. Well, Jack, you just spent some time at the National Retail Federation's big retail show. Uh, can you tell us some of the technologies or products that you got a chance to see while you are there? I did. And um, for those who aren't familiar with the NRF show, uh, it's an annual event. happens every year. Uh, it kind of brings together some of the biggest names in retail and some of the companies that are helping them to keep their operations running every day. Um, so this year, there were around 35,000 people at the show, a uh, big uptick from last year. And I think that's kind of um, representative of one of the big themes of the show, which was uh, a return to physical retail and physical stores. Um, so we, we saw a lot of point of sale technology at the show, um, a lot of new in-store and, and backroom tech for associates to use. Uh, for example, there was a company there called Teamwork Commerce that had a mobile system that uses iPads 
uh, and the iPad kind of serves as your your hub for your store associate. It's got a POS, it's got a CRM system, it's got an order management system on there, uh, all in one place. Uh, you also saw some more automated checkout solutions. Um, Verizon, for example, has a solution that's using 5G. It's allowing shoppers to check out using just a tap of their phone or even by tapping a store associate's phone nearby. Uh, there's also a bunch of digital solutions that are being used to drive more in-store sales. Uh, lots of firms that are using AI to sort of strategically organize some of the products that they have on their shelves and to price them properly as well. Uh, an example of that is this company called Relax that I talked to at the show. Uh, they use automation to identify products that should be priced or promoted differently based on supply and demand. Uh, and, that, and that's a way to drive more sales. Um, some companies even combine several of those solutions. Uh, Zebra is a good example of that. Uh, they had a concept at the show called Modern Store. It combines RFID scanners, uh, predictive pricing, robots, uh, a warehouse management system, integrations with other systems. Uh, and all of these things are connected and ac- accessible to store associates on their phone. Uh, and it, it allows them to handle inventory management in the store, uh, in the back of the store, and even in the warehouse. Uh, so you saw a lot of point of sale uh, focused on physical stores, but there were also a lot of solutions geared toward e-commerce uh, and e-commerce fulfillment. Uh, omnichannel sales were a big emphasis. Uh, there were a lot of companies there who were providing the tech to make that happen, uh, and a lot of retailers who I spoke to who are in need of it. Uh, for example, I, I talked to Big Commerce about their new deal with Amazon's Buy with Prime uh, that happened earlier this month. Uh, so their merchants are using that um, that that platform to help their retail partners manage their channels, uh, excuse me, to, to increase conversions uh, while, while keeping their branding. Uh, Buy with Prime, for those who aren't familiar, is a, a deal that allows merchants to offer Prime-like fulfillment services like next-day delivery. Um, so we, we saw a lot of e-commerce solutions as well. Uh, demand planning and forecasting is another big one. Uh, inventory management, automated replenishment. Um, and then a lot of companies that are kind of trying to tie all of those things together and uh, in, in instilling, uh, installing end-to-end order management systems. Uh, SAP was one company that I spoke to that's a good example of this. Uh, their, their system handles planning, marketing, merchandising, replenishment, transportation, logistics. Uh, they, they use data that's shared with them to forecast demand several months out. Uh, they automate the movement of inventory. They, they use dynamic pricing to find products that might be selling or should be selling more or less. Uh, and they've also got a network of 3PL and fleet partners that they use to, to transport goods. Uh, so you're also seeing a lot of companies that are kind of trying to tie all of these different aspects of, of retail together. Um, and, and, and also uh, focusing a little bit more on, the, on what happens after the sale. Um, returns were a, a big issue that I, I heard come up with a lot of retailers who I spoke to. Um, being able to get products back cost effectively and, and being able to resell them easily uh, was definitely a big issue. Yeah, you would think too, especially going into the 23 with the economy that we're currently seeing, we were as con- uh, customer, consumer uh, spending, et cetera, that they would be focused, especially on those technologies where the conversion rates uh, would improve. Uh, clearly, anything to have them uh, click checkout on that cart faster. Uh, and in particular, I think even probably even some type of like marketing or analysis in order to find new customers or they haven't before. Did they talk at all about like the fact that, okay, well, we're going to not see maybe as much spending. So we have to kind of hop on up every opportunity we find available. Yeah, there was a, a huge emphasis on customer loyalty because now you've got all of these retailers 
uh, who, who have all these different fulfillment options. Um, there was a huge emphasis on, you know, what, what can we do to make us stand out from a, a fulfillment standpoint? Uh, and, and as you said, um, you know, with, with inflation happening, um, some customers might be watching their wallets. Uh, some of these retailers are trying to get the customers they already have to, to spend even more. Uh, I, I mentioned returns. Uh, there, there's a company I spoke to at the show, Happy Returns. Uh, they're, they're a subsidiary of PayPal. Um, they set up a network of 6,000 return bars. Um, basically, people will bring their return products back into the store, a lot of times the store that they bought it from, and that can drive or convert another sale. Um, so you're seeing lots of creative things like that, either to get more people into the store or to get them to interact or buy more once they're there. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I think uh, it, it's so fascinating to me, especially at like point of sale type of technology to like consider how quickly a independent, like let's say Etsy, like sales per- person or uh, user could open up their own little shop or uh, like take that risk and know that they, the technology is quickly available. Um, I guess, uh, especially uh, when it comes to more of that um, point of sale technology, do you find that moving forward, especially I'm interested in like kind of larger chains moving to systems that are more tablets and at some point, I guess, eliminating even that representative that we tend to see uh, in the uh, to to go aisles or, or, or scanners. Yeah, I think we might even see some repurposing of current store associates. Uh, for example, at checkout, um, that's the job that can be easily automated, and those associates could be better used elsewhere. Uh, maybe helping to restock shelves or, or talking to other customers. Um, so I think that it could help um, stores kind of you know get more out of each associate that they have, um, and and the the hope is that the the automation doesn't replace these workers. Instead, it complements them and helps them get more out of uh, each action that they're doing. Yeah, of course. Uh, For you, what do you think were the main pain points that uh, retailers are really concerned with going into this year? Yeah, so I I spoke to a lot of retailers at the show, a lot of companies that are trying to help them out. Um, Supply chain disruption obviously uh, came up a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, excess inventory, uh, that really hurt a lot of retailers in Q4 is what I heard. you know, a lot of these retailers, they had sales rise, uh, but unit sales remain flat, uh, which which created that inventory bloat. Um, so that's something that people are, are focusing on. Uh, a lot of people also mentioned the situation in China as well, uh, keeping an eye on what's happening there with COVID lockdowns and, and how that might affect global supply chains. Uh, labor and automation, of course, was another huge thing that came up. Um, as we know, labor and automation were uh, a huge pain point for, for some of these retailers this year. Uh, many of them expect that to continue into 2023. Um, another key thing, or not necessarily a pain point, but maybe uh, a, a new strategy that some of these retailers are looking at, uh, is, is connecting all of these different modes and systems that they added during COVID. Um, you know, a lot of retailers added uh, fulfillment systems, inventory management, uh, CRM, and OMS. Uh, so you've got all of these disparate systems that aren't working together. Um, so I think one one major uh, point of emphasis moving forward will be uh, trying to connect those systems a little bit more, uh, and that helps the operation run more smoothly. Uh, and then one last point I wanted to mention would be driving loyalty. Uh, we, we just talked about this a little bit, um, but customers are overloaded with options today, and, and a lot of these retailers are looking for ways to differentiate themselves. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, uh, especially the inventory issue, right? I wonder, uh, any mention to them on like, 
I've noticed the last couple of years, right? A lot of retailers have been ordering super early in the year, right? And I clearly have the issues uh, of Q4, like you said. Uh, is that still like a confused, a confusing, confused, a confusing area for them? Are they having difficulty trying to figure out when to order from China, let's say, uh, and and really having an idea of forecasting when to bring that uh, merchandise in? Yeah, and in the wake of all this excess inventory that some of these folks are dealing with, I've heard uh, a few people say that they're going to try and take on a, like a more lean approach to their inventory management. Uh, maybe not trying to have everything in the warehouse all at once. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of people saying that they intend to use uh, demand forecasting and, and make uh, heavier use of that. Uh, there were a lot of companies there uh, that either had that as a feature for their product or that was their product. Um, and, and these companies are using things like uh, weather, uh, local events, global events, uh, interest rates, all of these different things to, to calculate demand forecasting and kind of help these retailers know exactly when they need to put in an order or, or when they need to move inventory from facility A to facility B uh, based on you know uh, predictions on when a product might become overstocked. So there's definitely a lot more emphasis on um, not, not going just in time, uh, not loading up too much inventory, but kind of finding a middle ground uh, based on all of that data and AI that we're we're starting to introduce to supply chains. I love that. If you had to give it a best in show for companies that were there, is there anyone that really uh, stuck out to you? That's a, that's a tough one because there are so many so many great companies there. Obviously, um, out of the booths I visited, I think I'd have to give it to Zebra. Um, they they had this massive interactive booth um, demonstrated all the different parts of their their modern store concept um, and a lot of the work that they do is is in the warehouse so uh, to see them come out with that display and they they had such a clear vision of what they wanted to do uh, in the actual store uh, was pretty cool and I could see you could, you could see the influence they had on the show uh, there were always hundreds of people either waiting outside their booth or, or walking around uh, they were I think the only booth I saw that needed to have, uh, you needed to sign up to do a guided tour. Um, so I, wow. I thought they, they did a pretty great job at the show. Um, they, they brought a lot of tech and, and demonstrated all of it for everyone to see. Awesome. Well, on your side, uh, what about conference swag, right? We get handed loads of it throughout the year. Uh, anyone, I would expect retail of anything to have something cool. Anything cool that was out there? <laughs> yeah, there were, there were, there were tons of things. I got, a. Uh, got a shot glass. I got a, a miniature truck. <laughs> um, but well, I don't know if this would be considered swag, but uh, Verizon at their booth, they were uh, taking videos of people using their hologram technology. Basically, you can you can stand in front of these cameras and it'll create a hologram of you a couple feet away. So I've got a video of my phone of me and my hologram you know, going like this at each other. Uh, so I, I thought that was a pretty good souvenir. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, after this, you need to send that to me because I definitely need to see that. And that, no, that's really cool. That's uh, that's awesome. It's, it's like, uh, what was that, Tupac at Coachella? Like, it's a, it's a lifetime experience right there, right? Well, that's really great. And uh, for everyone out there, Jack also has a show as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that and when that uh, airs? I sure do. Uh, I've got a show and podcast. It's called The Drop Zone. Uh, it's basically your monthly look around the world of drone delivery. And each week, I'll take a look at a different piece of drone tech. Uh, next episode will be coming out at the beginning of February. Uh, we, we had a little hiatus, but we will be back. Uh, I've got a, a great episode coming up. I'll be talking to Eric Peck, who's the CEO of Swoop Aero. They're an Australia-based drone company that has 
been doing some great work in Africa and, and in Australia as well. So uh, stay tuned for that. Yeah. Uh, well, and you know, you don't have to worry about, uh, at least for now, Amazon being uh, a part of that show. So uh, we'll see who else you can get in there too. Thank you so much, Jack, for joining us. And uh, for our audience out there, we are also a community. We're not just a podcast. So make sure that you guys head to freightways.com at the top of the page, click on newsletters and you can sign up for the point of sale newsletter as well, which comes to you bi-weekly. Again, go to freightways.com at the top, you'll see newsletters. And uh, even easier, if you click on uh, newsletters as well, you can actually uh, sign up for all of our community newsletters and just get it done in one full swoop. Uh, and also go ahead and check me out on Sirius XM radio show, the uh, Waves Drive Time on the Road Dog Trucking Channel. You'll see me tonight and every day, Monday through Friday from 5 to 7 p.m. at Channel 146. Thank you, everyone. I will talk to you all next week at Manifest. Until then, keep on buying stuff. So we got a show to talk about. <laughs> 